Welcome to Guidos Bros, where we ask better questions. Because having the answers is just not good enough. Hey, man. This is Jason. I'm the brother. And I'm Jeremiah. I'm the other brother. And to the audience out there, thanks for joining us. We uh, we hope to ask better questions today. And with that, let's get right after it. What is our question for today? Well, what the heck is with that music? The intro You're talking music. talking about the intro music? Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, okay. So I'll start, I'll start this off real quick because uh, I, I came across this. I was I was trying to find well let's start with some some basic foundational pieces. I was looking for music that I could use and I didn't have to worry about licensing as a starting spot. So that automatically took me back. Obviously there's a lot of music today that we can find that doesn't require licensing. But I wanted to go old school. So I went back 100 years cuz anything over 100 years old it's fair game. We can we can use it. And so it took me back to, in total transparency, my brain had the, the, the 1919 White Sox scandal in 1918, like a genius that I am. And so I was like, oh, let's just go back into that era, that, that time period. And uh, anyway, I came across this song uh that was uh you know, that was put together and i was i was like in just captivated by the name and so i actually i i took it to my brother jason and you know and said hey here's some things about this song he's got a little more information on it than i that than i've got tracked in my brain so i'm going to let him go into some of those details and then we'll see if any questions come about from there cool so i looked it up and it was created by John Philip Sousa, and he was the leader of the Marine Band. So that's the United States Marine Corps Band for 12 years. And during that time, he came up with this particular score, and it's called Solid Men to the Front, which was uh, completed in 1918. So that's so, sort of the – go ahead. That, that's good, man. Like, okay, so my first question – it, you know, that I think there is, you know, the, the Marine Corps, there's, there's some significance to the Marine Corps for you and me. Mm-hmm. Much of our audience may not know that, right? So what is, you know, what, what do you want to say about the Marine Corps? It, it's something we did early in our young life. Uh, we both joined the uh, the Marines. Uh, you were 17 and I was 18. You were just a couple years behind me. And we did that uh, as part of our, I guess what I would say is our significant young men or young man developmental phase. So we both did that for, I did it for 13 years and you did it for like eight years, I think. Right? Uh, six years. Six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so both of us went in, uh, th- that, that I'm going to tell you the question that came to my mind. I was thinking for a moment, like an audience person, then which one of us is older? 
Oh, see, and since we don't actually answer questions, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer was in there. If people if people want to go back and re-listen, the answer was in there. Okay. Uh, you you gave it away. I remember I remember sitting uh, speaking of the Marine Corps. I remember sitting on the couch. I don't know. I, I know I, you know this story about me, but one of the things that came to my mind was sitting on the couch and I didn't know this at 17. It was one of those things that didn't, I mean, I, I didn't ever think of it, didn't care, whatever. But one of those, did you know moments? Did you know that in Oregon, the only way to be legally emancipated without going through the court system is the recruiter? I, I, I sat on the couch at 17, the day, my, my birth date, the day I turned 17, Matter of fact, it might have been the only time I ever saw our mom and dad sitting on a couch together in my entire life. Literally, they sat side by side, which was, and the recruiter, Sergeant Anaya, was right next to them. And he had this portfolio of paperwork. And they would sign things. And then, you know, and then at one point he looks at me and goes, okay, so they've they've signed everything that I need, which means now. You are, as far as, you know, the, the Marine Corps uh, understands it, you are a legal adult at 17 and you can sign yourself into the Marine Corps because our parents signed hmm. all of it off. And then I was legally emancipated. He also said, oh, and be careful because now if you, if you do anything stupid before you leave, you're going to have to deal with that as an adult because they've legally emancipated you as an adult. Hmm. So I thought that was odd. Anyway, little sidebar. Yeah, no, yeah. I, it's just what happens when we ask questions. I, I didn't know that that to me, that was, that was an interesting, interesting thing. Okay. My other question. So back to this music, so we don't, we don't want to rabbit hole too far mm-hmm. uh, back to the music. So the Marine Corps was a significant thing. Um, what, what else, what else should we be asking about this music? Well, uh, a couple of questions come to mind. One is what's, uh, what would be the purpose of the Marine band just historically, uh, or any band, uh, that's militarily affiliated. And, and so that would be one thing to maybe bring up because it means something different now than it meant a hundred years ago or 300 years before that. Um, so there's. Okay. So my, my first, my, my mind goes to my initial history. When I was taught about some of the really like the oldest wars you, before the United States even existed, there was the drummer was a big, big deal because the drummer set the tone for things like marching. But marching, it served a purpose. It wasn't just marching. It was staying in steps that the enemy had no idea how many of you there are. There's, there's all these different avenues to go down there. But at the end of the day, most of that subsided. The need for that subsided before, before the Marine Corps even became in existence, right? You know, we, we now had, uh, you know, there was stealth was a more significant role in war at a certain point. And, and so the band, what purpose did it serve? I mean, it's, let's specifically talk about the Marine Corps band. What, what are the main reasons for the Marine Corps band? 
So it's the oldest band in the United States that I know. And it was also uh, a recruiting tool. Uh, music is important to, to our physical being. It's, uh, it's something that can put us in a, uh, a better mood. Um, it can indicate certain things that are happening around us or whether it's celebratory or if it's mourning, something like that. And so, uh, it, it serves as sort of like a, uh, a focal point, something to rally around. Mm-hmm. Okay. So was it, so the Marine Corps band, was it for Marines or not Marines? Well, if you're looking at the recruiting aspect, it was for not Marines to become Marines. And the Marines are good at recruiting. They always have been. That's true. They still are. They still are. They're <laughs> meeting some... quotas. <laughs> no one else is, but they are. It's, it's, int- I mean, that's true. And I always find it interesting. <laughs> One of the things that just boggles my mind about Marine Corps recruiting is how good they get at figuring out how to create waivers. <laughs> like I had a 33 year old in my basic training, 33 years old. He was, he was, uh, an, an Alaskan, uh, and it, the, the dude was super interesting, but in comparison, the next oldest we probably had was probably 23 or 24, yeah. almost 10 years, the junior. And there had to be a waiver. I, I don't remember what it was. I think it was 30 is the cutoff or something like that. Yeah, probably 28 or 30. So he was well beyond. Well beyond. He had mm-hmm. to get, he had to get a, a waiver to go in. Uh, he was a neat guy though. I, I enjoyed him. Yeah. I he remember was, we had an older guy too. I just, I don't remember the details, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember. I'm, I'm not the best with names, so I don't remember his name. But I do remember I'm really good with stories for whatever reason. And his story was super interesting because he was he was like born and raised in Alaska. He was an Eskimo. So we had an Eskimo. It was it was super cool. And I'm just thinking, you know, there's some recruiter up in Alaska that's going probably out to these villages, you know, out on the tundra in the middle of the winter. Like That's the way my mind does. And yeah. it connects all these dots. And I, I'm like, how in the world do they find these people? And no, he was a good dude, though. I, I enjoyed him. I remember the name of our Eskimo. Do you? Tanutamok. Yeah. That was his name. Straight up. Huh. All the all the recruits pitched in to get him a flight home. He could not afford it, so we had the that little baggie of money, whatever that was called, and uh, it was like fake money, whatever. Oh, and the, the chits, the chits, yes. So <laughs> so he 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 was not going home, and and so we all said, "Jeez, we're just giving him money." So we did. We pulled all all the recruits pulled a whole bunch of money together and got him a ticket home. That's awesome. So most of us left without any money, but not because we spent it all. It's because we just gave it to this guy. It was like a $4,000 ticket. So we're like, Oh my gosh, get him home. But 10 days at home. So worth it after basic. So yeah, for sure. Okay. I didn't even and, go home after basic. And then the other question about the music is the title. It's solid men to the front. 
what is a solid man and what does it mean to be in the front? Yep. And that's, I mean, so, I mean, like, Hey, give people a little flavor of what's to come. Uh, Let's, let's, let's put you on the spot here a tiny bit. Are you a solid man? I think I strive always to be a solid man and I would have to define what a solid man is to me. And that is a representative of my family. And I think I just leave it there. If, if I'm the, I'm the masculine representative of my family. And that's what it means to be a solid man. It might mean something diff, uh, different in terms of uh, work environment or to the community at large. Uh, but to me, it, it starts with the family. You got to go to the smallest unit and that's how I define it. Yeah. That's interesting because uh, I would say you're a solid man from where I said, uh, you know, I grew up with you. I know you know, there are some flaws there and we can deal with those at a different time. But I, from where I sit, the, the reason that I would say it is because you're from my vantage point, there's a principle centeredness to your decision-making, whether you're right or wrong, you make a decision based on what you believe to be good for not just you, but the people around you. It reminds me of this thing that you once said, I was, I was probably 17 at the time, 16 or 17. Uh, I asked you why you were going in the Marine Corps. You probably don't even remember this, but I do. I said, why are you going in the Marine Corps? And your, your response was you'd been working at the glass company, making good money. You know, it was hard work, but it was, it was good money. And, and you said, look, I realized I woke up one day and I realized that I'm, uh, if I, if I succeed, I want it to be my fault. And if I fail, I want it to be my fault. And so for me to go into the Marine Corps, you were talking about yourself. For me to go into the Marine Corps, uh, it's, it's my way of saying, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it my way. Whatever my way is, as I figure it out, as I go, that's the way I'm going to do it. And if it's, if it's my success, it's mine. If it's my failure, it's mine. And the ownership in that, that principle of, I'm just going to own my path. And if it's, if it's a crappy one, well, it is what it is. And if it's a great one, again, it is what it is. And I'm going to just navigate it the best that I know how, you know, I come back to when I talk about principles for me, I go, you know, people are here are going to learn this. I don't talk about this so much on my other podcast, but I, you know, for me at the top is God, hundred percent, everything all in, all in, in that category, God first family runner up, but they are right there at the, you know, at the top of the chart also. And then friends, because for me growing up, I needed friends, uh, you know, that, you know, family slash friends, because my friends often growing up were my family. Um, You know, it it just, it it just had to be that way because of what we, what we dealt with uh, in childhood. And then you know, my, my calling, what was I called to do? You know, some people call that career or job and stuff like that, but your principles centered just the same, you know, it's, you know, you may be further along in some areas or whatever, but you've got these principles that you just follow. And yeah, I think that plays a part in it. You know, is there something else besides principles that we should be looking at? I don't know. 
but I do That's know question. we should be looking at those. Sure. All right. So I'll now put you on the spot. What does it mean to, to be in the front? So if the first part is solid men, then my question to you is to the front. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? That's interesting. Okay. Uh, great question. Ooh, all right. Uh, let's see the front. If I'm going off of the principles that I literally just established, I would say being at the front means that we, for me, I would be carrying God's message to the people. What does that mean? Well, God's message is a message of truth, which means I have to speak the truth as I see it. As flawed as I might be, I have to always speak the truth as I see it, no matter what. And to me, that puts me at the front because what happens our culture doesn't always like the truth. The truth can also be really uncomfortable and you know, causes a lot of mess. If you, or it can seemingly cause a lot of mess when we speak the truth, but we have to speak the truth. I have to speak the truth anyway, even, even if it gets me in trouble. I, I literally had somebody the other day say, uh, one of the messages that I, I did on my Healthy Perspectives uh, podcast, they, they said to me, wow the FBI is going to be following you. And I was like, what? But, but they were, they were making a political statement more than anything, I think. But uh, the, the idea that the truth can get you into trouble. I, I just own it. I have to live with that. And if it does, it does. I will never be able to not speak the truth as I see it. And I'm pretty careful about that language. So to me, that's being at the front. You know, if it, mm-hmm. if somebody brings up the topic of God, I don't shy away from it. When somebody brings up the topic of politics, I don't shy away from it. You know, do I claim to have all the right answers? No, but I do like to ask the better questions. And so, uh, you know, for me, it starts with speaking the truth as I see. All right. I know in my mind, and, and that's good because you got, you definitely have to I guess, stand your ground in certain aspects of your life. Um, the front is scary. The front is visible. The front is the point in the direction that you're moving. And everywhere, everyone is aware of the front. And that's a, it's a tough spot to be. If, if, you know, if, if the world's greatest fear is public speaking, uh, just by percentage, then you speak from the front. That's where you are. And that is too scary for most people. And so I think there's something deeper to the title that we could definitely explore more because there's a lot going on with what it means to be solid, what it means to be a solid man, and what does it mean to be a solid man who is being called to the front because what's interesting about the the title is it's almost a question and a calling at the same time. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a calling saying, Hey, you solid men to the front, but it's also weeding out those that are not solid men or who, those who don't consider themselves solid men. It's if you're a solid man and you consider that you need to be in the front. And so you need to look inside yourself and ask, am I a solid man? And can I go to the front? Which is kind of interesting. You said, you said a word in there, maybe two, maybe three times. Scary. 
Yeah. I remember the feeling of it being scary. But why is it scary? It's scary because most people don't want to be out there where everyone else can see them either succeed or fail. And that's a scary place to be because you have to, you have to ask yourself if you are ready for that. And, and that can mean a lot of different things. I got to challenge that a tiny bit because, you know, asking better questions. Here's the thing. I don't think it's about success or failure from where I sit. I think it's the only scary part is it's a failure. And, and I, I, I mean, here's my thinking, and then maybe you'll have a better question. Uh, the, if, if I told you, if you do A, B, and C, guaranteed you will succeed. People aren't scared. They might get nervous. They might get anxious. They might question or doubt, but they're not going to be scared if they know it leads to success. I think people don't go to the front from where I sit because they fear failure, not because okay. they are afraid of success. Well, maybe I'll challenge you back because I would argue that success is also scary as hell because when you succeed, there's an expectation of success, especially if you're in the front. And that's scary because now if you went out there for the first time with challenging that fear of failure, but then you succeed, now everyone's looking at you for the next success. And then that becomes very scary in itself. Yeah. Because but it's sustaining success is still a fear of failure. It's true. I got it right once, but now I might screw it up and lose it. To me, failure is the, the, from, from where I said, you know, when, when it all circles back to that fear of failure, it's why people get, uh, they, it's why they freeze. That's why they freeze. That's they, they, they know that if, if they create a certain level of success, then they have to try to sustain that. And they're like, I don't know if I can, how can I, I mean, will I be able to sustain it? And so they're, they're really getting wrapped up in the fear that it may not work out and brings up a different question for me. How come some people can get to the point where they just don't fear the failure anymore? That's a long pause. Let me see. (laughs) Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, cause I look at certain things that I do that I know should be scary, but aren't. And well, okay. Maybe it is simple. Maybe it's because I don't care if I fail. Like yeah. when I, when I, when I, when, when I first took charge of a platoon, um, doing drill practice as a young NCO. I, I watched people lead drill. I watched, I, I paid attention to where they s- stood, where, how they stepped and, and the calls that they made and what foot they called it on, all of that. And then I read the drill manual, uh, 
And, and then one day I just said, you know what, I'm going to screw the heck out of this thing. I'm going to screw it up. And then I said, but I'm going to do it anyway, because <laughs> I don't yeah. care. And it turned out I was, I was actually really good at it. Uh, but I wasn't good because I practiced a lot. I was, I felt like I just, I got it. I understood it and I didn't care if I messed it up and that's it. I just, I said, I'm done. I'm just going to do it. And the beauty about having you out, this is something people won't know from the podcast, but the beauty of having you out instead of in the platoon is probably an advantage too. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're going to go there. All right. No, we're not. But yes, I will tell you that that was a very pivotal moment in my life personally, leading drill for the first time. It, I was a very introverted person and uh, I still am. Uh, so I was very, uh, a lot of that, a lot that comes with that is shy and, and, uh, solitude and I don't interact with people a lot and all that stuff. Um, but what that did is, I guess the metaphorical shell, if you want to say that it, uh, the, the, the moment I remember just leading drill, uh, it, it, I was like, you know what, this is one thing that represents a lot in my life that I'm going to be able to do now because I just did that. Yeah. Those five minutes was like, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do now. It doesn't matter. Job interviews. Don't care. You know, uh, trying to fix a car. Don't, I don't care. Just, I'm going to do it. So from then on, I was like, I'm doing everything. Yeah. No, it's funny because I think people, some people can get, it's almost like you, you have to fail enough and you have to succeed enough in order to get to the point where you embrace the failure and the process, the, the growth process that's, that, that occurs during every single failure. And then all of a sudden it's not scary. It's more of, you know, the, at that point from, from my vantage point, the only thing scary becomes is, Will I learn the lesson I'm supposed to learn in this situation? Yes. Because I don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes. Correct. And, and am I going to, am I going to keep trying to fail? Like, am I going to try the next thing? Yeah. Like, like I don't want to let myself down and not try the next thing. Like I've taken doors off of cars. I've, I've taken dashboards off of cars. I've done that. I've, um, whatever. Because I don't care, but am I going to try the next thing? Am I going to try to build a, a, a tree house? I've never built the tree. Well, we have, we've built the makeshift ones, but like a real one. I've never done that, but am I going to, am I going to give up or am I going to try? Like I have a, a fear of that. Um, but I, I actually enjoy failing. I, yeah, I think failure is, it's such a good topic. And, and, and the truth is, there's a million questions that come into my mind when we talk about failure. It's kind of funny how we ended up here. We started with super we started weird with the music and then we ended up talking about failure. And uh, I don't know, it's, it, it was a weird rabbit hole, but here's the deal. At Guidos Bros, we ask better questions. And sometimes that can, I mean, it, truthfully, that should lead us into all kinds of unusual places. So for the audience out there, you may notice that there's a difference in the background again. 
mine and uh, my brother's. We are we are still playing with some stuff, trying to figure some things out. And uh, we we're, we're gonna you know we we'll keep giving us feedback. If you if you if you think that you know the one that I'm sitting in front of is is the better option, uh, we're also gonna come out with the Guidos Bros Ask Better Questions in blue and have the blue background. Uh, we we may try a bunch of different things. So stay tuned. You never know what you're gonna get here. If you're not watching on Rumble or YouTube, you have no idea what I was just talking about. But that's okay. <laughs> Join us on Rumble or YouTube. And you'll be able to see it. Thank you all so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and follow. You can go to guidosbros.com. That's G-U-I-D-O-S-B-R-O-S.com for additional content. <laughs>